Hi, this is Pastor Tim, and I'm always encouraged to hear what God is doing in your life. Now, if you have a story or a testimony to share regarding a miracle, please let me know at story at citylifefw.org. That's story at citylifefw.org. Hey, I'm looking forward to hearing your personal story soon. Welcome to the City Life Podcast. We're all about making Jesus known. We pray these messages will help equip you to become a follower of Jesus, who is empowered to influence and shape culture. Enjoy the message. Hey, but I love it if you go ahead and get your Bibles, or Bible app out, get some notes out. Uh, open your Bibles. I have two, two places I want you to open your Bibles to. I'm going to leave this on the screen for a little bit, but it's going to be Luke chapter 4, verse 16. Luke 4.16 and then Isaiah 61 verse 1. Uh, next Sunday is Heart for the House Sunday, but today I'm wrapping up my series called Heroes, where I take a look at different people from the Bible. Today I'm talking about a hero called Isaiah, and he's from the Old Testament. Uh, so it, we're going to have a lot of fun talking about him today and what, what his message was. And, but, but before I get started with that, I just want to say this. This is important. God has a purpose for your life. God wants your success. He does. What God wants is for you to tune in to Jesus. Tune in to him. And he, he wants to engage with the, he wants you to engage with the grace of God. And he wants you to have massive faith in him. Let me tell you why. It's because nothing is impossible with God. And if we engage, if we engage his grace and we act in faith, then nothing is impossible. But a lot of times people kind of get stuck in this, this lie that God wants something from you. Have you ever feel that way? God wants something from you, uh, but God really doesn't want anything for you. That God wants to take away your freedoms. Uh, maybe that, that God wants to remove all your fun or that God wants your money. But, but that kind of thinking is backward. Um, in fact, our theme scripture for the year is John chapter 10, verse 10. And it says this, it says that there's this thief that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And, and, and Jesus, though, he came to do the opposites. Jesus came to give us meaning and purpose in our lives. So today, you're going to see from the scriptures that God loves you deeply, God desires your success, and God has a plan for you no matter how much you have messed things up on your own or no matter how much things have just been not in your favor all your life. And God's not interested in taking anything away from you. God wants to set you up for good things. God does. See, God built something into us. God built it into us, this, this, this desire for our lives to matter. God wants, us, uh, to, God, God wants us to leave a legacy, and we want that too. That's built into us. So, so basically what God's done, he, he, he's, he's set you up so that you'll have this consuming passion for your future so that you'll be future oriented. And then we connect with God and his plan for our life. And then bam, things begin to happen. You'll see that today. But, but, but here's the key. You've got to tap into it. It's not going to just happen automatically because if you reject God's grace, you'll never be able to step out in faith then and if that's the case, basically what you're saying is, God, I just think I can do this better on my own. And the truth is you can't do it better than God. You really, really can't. So if you, if you, if you don't receive his grace and engage faith, what's going to happen in your life is this. And this is important. 
You get to jump from cause to cause. You're going to jump from church to church, from job to job, from event to event. You're going to jump from relationship to relationship. And some of you, you'll jump from city to city to city, all trying to pursue this right thing. And you're going to frustrate yourself. You're going to find yourself way down the road going, man, I just have no roots. There's just nothing here for me. I, I, I just keep going in circles. That's because God wants to say, listen, I've got a plan for you and I want to open it up for you. And today I'm going to talk about that. So I want you to think about your future. I, I want you to think about God's plan for your future. What would God's future for you look like? What would it? I mean, just think in practical terms. What would your what do you want your attitudes to be like? What, what, what would you want people to say about you down the road about, man, this person's attitude is this and this and this. What would you want? What would you want your, your physical health to look like when you're 70 years old? Um, what would you like for your marriage to look like after 30 years? What kind of a relationship would you want to have with your grown children? What kind of relationship would you want to have with your parents? Really, what kind of mark do you want to make on the world? See, that's being future-oriented. That's being a future-thoughtful person. You're forward-thinking. Now, the person I'm talking about today, Isaiah, he was a forward-thinking man. Uh, he was actually a prophet, and he talked about the things that were going to be happening in the future, naturally, and, and God spoke to him about these things. And so what he did is he wrote these things down, and, uh, and, and it was all compiled and put together, and we put a name on it and called it Isaiah. Duh. I mean, that's a good name to call all of his writings. It's the book of Isaiah. Uh, it's kind of cool because about six years ago, I went to an exhibit here in town and I got to see portions of the book of Isaiah dating back to the time of Jesus. Um, these were found at the Dead Sea. It's known as the Dead Sea Scrolls. And there uh, in, in that place was found like 21 copies of the book of Isaiah. And I think like about six uh, commentaries on the book of Isaiah as well as plus, plus a bunch of other writings. And so it's really, really interesting. I love, I love that kind of stuff. I love history. It's funny because, because people, before that was discovered, this is true, before that was discovered, people said that the book of Isaiah was made up. They said it was made up because there's no way a person could know so much about the future that it had actually taken place. They said it had to have been written after the fact. But within, when they found that and they dated it and they dated it way, way back, they're realizing, oh my goodness, this is authentic. And so, so it's, it's just another part of the beauty of the word of God. And, uh, and it didn't change. That's another thing too, is people thought, you know, well, through the years, scriptures has evolved and people change. It's like, no, it's the same. The book of Isaiah that we read today is the same that was found back uh, that, that, was, that was there in that cave in the Dead Sea Scrolls. So, but, but the thing is, Jesus, he lived right around this time when those, those scrolls were put there. But Isaiah, in his writings, and all that happened about 700 years prior to Jesus. He lived in Jerusalem in Israel. Now, a little bit about him uh, in that time. It was, it was a, impending, a lot of impending doom that was happening there in Jerusalem. Uh, really, what was happening is God's people had neglected forward thinking. They were not really thinking about the future in the moment. They, they, they were kind of just living in the moment, just thinking, well, we'll just kind of go with life as it goes, and we'll just have fun and do whatever we want. Whatever feels good, we'll just do it. And, uh, and that was, they were going to have to pay a huge, huge price for that. And Isaiah told them about that. Uh, Isaiah was highly respected. He, he ministered there and, and spoke God's word for about 40 years. And then 
Uh, he served under like about four different kings, but the last one he served under just, just had had it with him. This was, um, it was Manasseh, the son of King Hezekiah, and, and King Manasseh just is like it had enough of him. And so according to uh, tradition, Jewish tradition, it says that Isaiah was actually sawn in half by the order of Manasseh himself just to get the guy to shut up so he would stop talking, telling people, plan for the future, you know, watch out. If you're, you're living this certain way, this is going to happen, and, uh, and also talking about about Jesus, the Messiah. Um, but uh, of course, Manasseh, his, his end wasn't quite that good either. But you see, I love Isaiah. And one of the reasons I love Isaiah is because he talks a lot about not only God's future for us, but he talks a lot about Jesus. Keeping in mind, he's talking about Jesus 700 years prior. Now, here's the deal. We know this is that everything that's written in the Old Testament is actually called like types and shadows of New Testament Christianity, of relationship with Jesus and what it means to be under the grace of Jesus. And so, so we look at the Old Testament and we see these types, we see these shadows, which helps us to, to get a picture of what life is like. That, that we live today. And then we can take the scriptures from the Old Testament and apply it to our lives, the principles. And, and the big message that we find in the book of Isaiah is that we are to be future focused. This is important. And if you have messed up, this is part of the message of Isaiah. If you have messed up, if you've made bad choices, even if you think you have derailed your future, it's not over. Because Jesus He's going to make all things new. <laughs> it's just like Isaiah. I mean, he, he was just saying, he's basically telling the people over and over, think about your future. Think about the future. Live in a way that embraces God's future for you. But at the same time, he has a, a parallel message where he says, but if you have messed up, Jesus is going to step in and this Messiah is going to make all things new says he wants to restore your life. He wants to work a miracle in you so that he can work a miracle through you. I'll say it again. He wants to work a miracle in you so he can work a miracle through you. Isaiah tells us that you're going to get to rule and reign with Jesus in this incredible future kingdom of eternal peace and just utter perfection. I love that. The message and Isaiah is, is basically this, is that Jesus gives grace and he gives a lot of it, regardless of your past. And he wants you then to respond by living by faith so that you can be an overcomer in this life and you can partake of the th good things that God wants for you. So I think a good place to start is with Jesus himself. If you'll uh, look in Luke chapter 14, uh, excuse me, Luke chapter four, verse 16, uh, you're gonna see here in this passage of scripture, Jesus is about 30 years old right here. And uh, this is before anyone knew him as a great teacher. People didn't, he didn't even have any disciples. He wasn't a miracle worker yet. None of that had happened. And he went to the synagogue in his hometown Nazareth, and this is what happens. Look at verse 16. Here's the, here it's recorded for us. It says, he went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet, here it is, Isaiah, was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it's written. He reads this. The spirit of the Lord. Now here, he's saying this in present tense. 
and he's freaking people out, okay? <laughs> this is his hometown. This is, like, he's the carpenter kid. Like, 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 you're not special, okay? I don't know whether they called him Jesus or G or, or Sus. Or I, you know, I don't know if they had a slang name for him, but uh, it's like, well, we don't know about you. So he stands in front of them. He's just reading the Bible. He says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recover of sight to the blind, and to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And, of course, the place kind of really totally comes unglued when he does this. But what Jesus was declaring here is that, 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 that there's about to be a shift and a change in the circumstances of people's lives. And he's saying that to us today. I'm, I'm telling you, your circumstances might be bad. It may have been forced on you by other people. You may have stuff messed up in your life because of your DNA. Maybe the environment. Maybe of unjust actions against you by hell that you have no control over. But now Jesus is showing up and he's reading this prophecy about himself. And what he's saying is, hey, everybody, grace has now arrived on the scene. And if you have faith, you have an amazing future. Yeah. Oh my, my, you're, you're going to see this. This is crazy awesome. And my message today is really says that same thing. And it's, it's summed up in these three words is that Jesus changes everything. If you want it, I, I, I don't care how rotten you've been. It doesn't matter how jacked up you are. Jesus didn't come to put you down. Jesus didn't come to tell you, Hey, you're messed up. Because you already know you're messed up, right? <laughs> See, what Jesus wants to do is to turn your situation around. Jesus wants to bless you. Jesus wants to extend favor to you. See, the truth is this, is that God's blessing and God's favor is yours, but it only comes through Jesus and only through Jesus. You can't work it on your own. You're like, well, I don't deserve that. I know you don't. That's why we call it grace. In fact, I want you to flip over now to Isaiah chapter uh, 61, look at verse 1, because this would have been the entire prophecy that Jesus would have read. I believe that, that Jesus read more than just the segment that was there, because I do know this about scriptures, and when they give a first few lines, it's usually the whole thing that, that would have actually been spoken. So, so Isaiah 61, Jesus most likely read this entire prophecy, uh, and, 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 and we're going to go through this. And I believe God is going to personalize the words of Isaiah chapter 61 to you personally. I want you to get your pens out. I want you to get your phones out and take pictures of stuff. No texting, no ESPN, none of that stuff today. No, no Snapchat, nothing. All right. But you're going to get some of these, this stuff in here that is, that is speaking to you because what Jesus is reading here is essentially his job description. His job description that was prophesied by Isaiah 700 years prior and his job description that Jesus read 2,000 years ago is still true today. And it's true right here in this room. It's true for me and it's true for you. It's a good thing. That's why we actually call it good news. Take a look at it. Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1. Here it is. Jesus says this to you. He said it then, and he's saying it to us right now. He says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. I want to explain this real quick. 
What he is saying here is that God himself, God the Father, has anointed him to do this, to, to proclaim to proclaim. Now, proclaim means to speak. And you're going to see this a lot of times in here where it talks about Jesus speaking and saying things. Like, well, what does it matter what he says? Oh, it matters. It matters. You go back to the beginning of the Bible. Look at Genesis chapter one. It says, in the beginning, God spoke and bam, things started happening. God spoke, boom, there's a sun. God spoke, boom, there's a moon. God spoke, boom, there's trees, there's flowers, there's, there's, there's birds, there's animals, you know, there are elephants, there are fish. God speaks, things happen, all right? So the word, God's words are powerful. Jesus is God, so God has anointed Jesus to proclaim. That's huge. So when Jesus begins to speak, oh my goodness, things begin to happen. And it happens today as well. It says that he has anointed, anointed Jesus to proclaim good news to the poor. And it's like, well, uh, you know, that, you might say, well, that's me. You know, I, I don't have anything. And, and that might be, see, Jesus is speaking good news to you. But see, that word poor there doesn't just mean financially uh, destitute. It means if you're in a situation in any area of your life where someone you just, you know, other people normally, just normal other people have a whole lot more than you do and, and you're just barely making it in a particular area of your life. You can, it can be relationally, it can be financially, it can be in so many different areas. Jesus says, I'm going to make that up to you. I'm going to give you some good news. I'm going to give you some good news because you've been ripped off and I'm going to take care of you. Now he goes on to say this. Look at the next verse. He says, he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. This word bind up, that word bind up is an action. So, so what Jesus is going to do, he's going to take the woundedness and the brokenness in your life, he's gonna bind it up. I know how important that is because I remember so well when I, I broke my patella, which is your, your knee and you know, just kneecap and all of a sudden it's in two pieces and the only way it's going to get healed, my doctor says, is we're gonna to have to, to just bind your whole leg up and, and you can't move your leg for about six weeks and that's, that's really what ended up happening. And then right after they took that off, then I, I was just, uh, I, I broke my ankle right after that. And so I had to bind up my leg and had to bind up my ankle and, and it wasn't fun, but it was just, it was part of the healing process. But you see what that says is he binds you up. So he's going to bring healing to you. I love that. He says, he's going to proclaim. There's that word again. It's a declaration. God is speaking. And when God speaks, things happen. He says, he's going to proclaim what? Freedom freedom. So he looks at you and he says, I want to give you freedom, but I love what, because he takes it to a whole different level. He doesn't just say, Hey, everybody, I want you to have freedom. No, he says he wants to proclaim freedom to captives and release from darkness for prisoners. Let me talk, tell you, what is a captive? It is someone who has been taken against their will and boxed in. Any of you feel that way? If you have felt that way, you're there right now. You're against your will. You're boxed in. Jesus said, I want to give you freedom. Prisoners. What's a prisoner? A prisoner is typically, I mean, I know there are some people in prison that didn't do anything wrong, but I'm just thinking, I think the vast majority really did something wrong, right? And you're, saying, you're going, yeah, some of us deserve to be in prison. Maybe, maybe, but you're, you're fortunate that you're not there. But here's the, here's the big deal. This is the beauty of it. A prisoner is there because they messed up bad, right? What Jesus is saying is, even though you've messed up bad, really, really bad, I want to get you out. 
I want to get you out of the mess you created for yourself. That's awesome. Look, the next scripture, look at the next one. He says, I'm going to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn and to provide for those who grieve in Zion. The year of the Lord's favor. Basically, he's just saying, it's going to be a whole new season for you. This is going to be a time of favor. I'm going to pour so much goodness on you. And then he talks about vengeance. And, and I remember when I first started studying this a few years ago, I'd say the vengeance, like, well, why does vengeance appear in there? Is God going to take vengeance out on us? Now, actually what he wants wants to do because we're under his, we've, we, we have now engaged his grace and we're acting in faith. That means we're actually believing what God is wanting to do in our lives. Then he's going to act in vengeance against hell that has been attacking our life. You see, <laughs> I love it. Again, John 10, 10 says, Satan comes to steal, to kill, and destroy, but I've come to give you life and life to the full. And what Jesus wants to do, he wants to silence hell because of what it's done to you. He wants to silence hell, and he, he wants to give it a nice, good, swift kick in the rear. That's what the that, that, that's what's, you know, that's the judgment they enemy is. They get the vengeance of God. Vengeance. Think about vengeance. Have you felt some vengeance? I felt vengeance before. <laughs> Can you imagine if God feels vengeance and, and it's on behalf of you? I mean, look out. You just stand back. It's like, God, you just go after it. And he's going to comfort everybody who's in mourning. He says he's going to provide for those who grieve in Zion. Zion represents the church. Zion represents the believers, the followers of Christ. That means grief happens when you lose something, you lose someone. There's loss in your life and you're in a place of grief. I know we've walked through grief, Rebecca and I, and walked through grief several times in our marriage over different situations where there's a loss and it hurts. Some people get stuck in grief. Some of you might be stuck in grief right now and you can't get out. And Jesus is saying to you, you're my son, you're my daughter. I know you have grief, but I want to bust you out of that. I want to provide for you. And then, then he goes on to this next portion. I like this next portion because now he's starting to talk about attire. He's talking about how he's going to dress you up and make you look really good. He says he's going to bestow on you a crown of beauty instead of ashes. What the ashes represented in that culture is like when things were going bad in a person's life. I don't know why would they do this. This is kind of weird, uh, but, but they would take ashes and put it all over their head. I, I, again, that's, is that weird? Is that weird? That's very, very weird. That's, that's Middle Eastern stuff. I don't know why they do that. I think it's really, really, really stupid. But, but they still did it. I can't help what they did. It was a very bad idea. But, but what Jesus is saying is, I want, I, you're not going to have ashes. I want to like wash your hair. I want to get you cleaned up. I'm going to put this crown of beauty on your head. And then he goes on to say, I want to give you the oil of joy instead of your mourning. What's the oil of joy? I mean, uh, that, that's like, that, I mean, for me, that's, that, I don't know, that could be like, like uh, um, some, some lotion or something that makes you look bad, but I don't use lotion, so I, I, that's kind of like a one that's out for me. Uh, but, but, but I think, ladies, you would get that. Maybe makeup, you know, that, that would actually, but what it is, it's, it's big, back in those days, they would put oil on their faces. They would put oil on them just to make them shine and glisten. And when a person put oil on themselves, they knew that they were ready to go. And then he says, I'm going to give you a garment of praise instead of the spirit of despair. And so he's going to dress you up and make you look good. 
make you look good. He doesn't want you to have any more despair. He wants to make you look good. And then look at the next scripture. Look at the next verse. This is good. It doesn't end here. He says, they will be called oaks of righteousness. Now, who's the they? You are the they. Say, I am the they. Say it again. I am the they. See, you are the oak of righteousness. An oak is a strong, strong, strong tree. And it's a, he's saying, you are now going to become an oak of righteousness, the planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. Pause and think about that for a second. What he's saying is, you were once messed up, wishy-washy, and you just had ashes on your head and you were looking bad. But I'm going to make you into this strong, tough, rugged person who's going to be planted by me. I'm going to make sure you have some roots now. <laughs> You're going to be solid. And God says, I'm going to show you off for the display of your spot. I, I want to show you off. God wants to show you off. God, God wants to show you off. Yeah, he wants to put you in front of others and say, look, look what I did to this one. <laughs> look what I did for the display of his splendor. And it's not for your own glory, it's for God. It's like, yeah, look what God did in my life. When you begin to stand up and you tell your testimony of what God's done in your life, you tell the story of how God has taken you through darkness and brought you out to the other side, you are now the display of the splendor of God. Oak of righteousness. It goes on in the next verse to say, they will. Again, who's the they? Yeah, yeah, we are the they. You are the they. They will, that's us, will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. I remember when I first got this in my spirit, I began to realize that because of what God has done for me, I naturally am going to do something. You see, I'm not just going to be a receiver. I'm not just going to be pretty for God. It's like, oh, God, there's God's pretty boy. No, you know what? This pretty boy is going to get himself dirty doing God's work. I'm going to get dirty. I'm going to do God's work. And, and, and the, the, the way it describes it here is our job. This is our job description right here is because of what God's done for us and what he's doing in us, we get to rebuild. We get to restore. We get to renew. And, and that is, we get to restore and renew and rebuild places, situations. We get to restore and renew and rebuild people's lives. That's an amazing gift God's given to us, and he wants you to do it. Are you blessed yet? Do you, I mean, do you see what God wants for you? <sighs> but it keeps going. And so Jesus was continuing to read this. And every time he hit another verse, people go, oh my word, this is Jesus. Okay, I cannot believe he's saying this. Now he's saying this. He says, strangers will shepherd your flocks. Foreigners will work your fields and vineyards. I remember seeing that thing. That's just kind of like out of place in the midst of all that. And, and I did some studies like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. This is ancient Middle Eastern culture. I, I, don't, I, I don't have any shepherds. I don't have any flocks and I don't have any vineyards. I mean, I went to Grapevine once. It's kind of like that. But, you know, I, I, that, that's, I don't know. I mean, that doesn't really work with me. But see, these are businesses. This is occupation. What, what God's saying here, look at it. He's saying your business is going to prosper. And he says, foreigners will work. What, what that just means, foreigners, that just means people that you don't know. What that means is God wants to prosper even your business to the, to the extent that people will have to come to work for you that you don't even know and you're going to run into. It's like, what are you doing here? Well, I work for you. Okay. You know, okay. Well, that, that's just, that's great. I mean, how many of you would like that? Wouldn't that be great? You have, a, you have a good HR manager and you'll be just fine, right? And then it says, and you will be called 
priests of the Lord, and you will be named ministers of God. The priest of the Lord is the person that goes into God's presence and, and, and fellowships with God is in the thick of it. It's right there in the middle of the beauty of the presence of God. That's a priest. And a minister is someone who takes the glory of God, who takes the touch of God, who takes that atmosphere of God with them and pours it into somebody else. Don't you want to do that? You see, I don't want to be on the sidelines watching other people get blessed in God's presence. I want to do that. I want to fulfill the role of a priest, but I also want to fulfill the role of a minister. I want to take what God pours into me and I want to pour it into other people. That's what we get to do. That's amazing. And then it goes on to say, you will feed on the wealth of nations and in their riches you will boast. Now this actually speaks of, of financial blessing that God will even send your way. Some of you, you've, you've, you've hit some really, really tough times, but God is saying, because of Jesus, that, guys, this is in the Bible. I'm not making this up. You're seeing it black and white, right? Jesus, he read this as his job description, his first day on the job. This is my job. He says, he, he, he's saying this, and it's saying that God is going to take care of you from sources you wouldn't even imagine. There are sources of even financial blessing for you you haven't even thought about, but God already has set up for you. And then he goes on to say this, instead of your shame, the shame comes because of the bad stuff you've done. You guys all understand that. Whenever you sin, shame, you immediately feel shame. But he's saying this, instead of your shame, you're going to have a double portion. Instead of disgrace, you're going to rejoice in your inheritance. So he's going to wipe the shame away. So the shame goes. That means you can lift your head up. You don't have to, you don't have to hold your head low anymore. But then he says, you're, you're, you're not going to just have your inheritance. You're going to have a double inheritance, a double portion. That word portion, we tend to think of as something that, that's just like, that comes like on a buffet. Like uh, I would like a portion of this and a portion of that. But see, this, this is actually a lot broader than that. I mean, I was at a buffet the other day and, and like, I mean, I'm a guy and I was hungry and nobody else was around. So I'm like, I'm going to have myself two portions. You know, I like the steak, I like the meat and it'll make myself feel really, really good. And, uh, and I, I, I was at another buffet recently and all the people in front of me did that. And I was near the end because I was being the good Christian and then all I had left was corn. So I feasted on corn and, and a little bit of mashed potatoes, right? You were with me, Preston, right? Did we have, it was corn and mashed potatoes, right? Yes, as we watched everyone else eating these piles of, of meat. And we just like, well, we're just gonna be the good Christians. But you know what God says? It's not about just a plate full of food. God wants to give you this double inheritance. Okay, here it is. What's the inheritance? It's what you've got coming to you. God already has something coming to you. God's already set that up. What God wants to do for you, though, what he already has set up for you, he wants to double it. I'm not making this up, guys. This is in the Bible. Jesus said this first day on the job. He's walking in. He says, here, here I am. Here's my job description. And then he says, and so you will inherit a double portion in your land and everlasting joy will be yours. That's joy that doesn't end. You know what? Joy is, is this thing that just rises up in believers. Some people look at Christians and go, man, I can't stand Christians. They're, they're just always so happy. They're just like happy, happy, smiling, happy. Like, why, why are they all so happy? Well, first of all, they don't hang around with us all the time because we are not always happy, right? Right? And we're not always happy. Uh, you, you know, the other day, I ate, I, I, there was some chocolate cake on sale at the store, and I bought the chocolate cake home, and I was very happy about bringing it home. And I sliced myself a big piece of it and took it and ate it, and I was happy when I was eating that chocolate cake. And about 30 minutes later, I was not happy. 
I was not happy. Uh, you, you just things like that happen. This week, I, I was really just happy to get up and go get started with my day. And I had my day all planned out. I had all this studying I was going to get done. And <coughs> I have a flat. I wasn't happy. So are we happy all the time? No, no. Because happiness is based upon the circumstances. But there's something else God wants to give you. It's a lot deeper than happiness. It's called joy. And there's just this residing joy that's in your heart. It's like, you know what? If it's up, it's great. If things are down for me, that's great. But whatever. But I still have this, this abiding joy. And sometimes that joy comes out on our faces. And we might even be smiling when we should be frowning and crying. It's the way of God. That's how God works. It's because you're built on a solid God. And then God says this, for I, the Lord, love, what? Justice. That means he wants to do some justice on you. Some of you have been wronged and wronged and wronged and wronged. But God is going to pour justice back into your lives. I don't know the hell you've walked through. I don't know the pain in your heart. I don't know the secrets that you've never told anyone. But God is a God of justice and he knows. And I'm telling you guys, when you engage the grace of God and you start walking by faith, you have now empowered your God to do all the justice he can possibly do for you. And trust me, he will. He says, I hate. You want to know what God hates? Does God hate? Does God hate? Actually, the answer is yes. Does God hate? Yeah. What does he hate? Robbery and wrongdoing. He doesn't say he hates the robbers and the wrongdoers. He hates it when that's done to you is what he's saying here. So many people look at the Bible and they get it all wrong. (laughs) What God is saying here is, I hate it when you get robbed and I hate it when people do things that are wrong to you. And I'm a God of justice and I'm going to take care of that. He hates it that you've been robbed. He hates it. And if God hates it, and God is the God who created this universe, trust me, he's going to take care of you. And then he says this. He says, in my faithfulness, just reminding us that he's with us all the time. He's not going to leave us or forsake us. He says, I will reward my people and make an everlasting covenant with them. Okay, what does this mean? He's saying it's because he's faithful. This is just based on his faithfulness that he's going to stick with it. He's going to make things happen. He's going to reward us. I don't know exactly what the reward looks like, but it sounds like this whole chapter has been about the reward so far. But it's based upon an everlasting covenant. That's something that's going to go on and on and on. Now, there are two items here that that I want us to understand. There's a covenant and there's a contract. Do you guys understand contracts? You do. Uh, You know, you, you go to... Like if I go to the Apple store or Best Buy or whatever, and I'm going to get my, my new iPhone XL P12X3BCL. And I, and, I, and I go and I show up and I'm going to go, go get that. Actually, I have an iPhone 7. I'm going to be fine with it for as long as it works. All right. But, but I, I, I'm going, I'm showing up, and I'm going to get my phone, and I'm so excited about it. And they're going to say, okay, now you're going to have to sign your contract. They don't. For some reason, they have never said it's a covenant. <laughs> they said, we're gonna, you're going to sign your contract. And so you do this contract. They said, it's going to be wonderful. You see, because we're going to give you all this 
data. I mean, you can like eat data all month long and just be all over the internet and do hot spots and all this kind of stuff. And then the data you don't use is going to roll over to the next month. Your life is going to be so good. We're going to give you unlimited talk time. You're going to have friends and family and, and, and relationships and you're, it's going to be wonderful. You're going to love this. And we're going to get, and, and this phone is going to just work so good for six months. And then you're going to, and they say that quietly. And all you have to do is pay $69.99 a month. It's an, think about that. That's only like two bucks a day. It's just gonna be, just, that's coffee. Come on. You can do, it's going to be so happy for the next five years. And, and so you sign the contract. You're so happy. You have the new phone in your hand. You're doing, but what, the, what does that mean? That means they're going to take care of you as long as you're taking care of your end of the deal. Right? If you get to the end of it and your phone breaks, which, you know, it does, and and you're going to have to break the contract and say, okay, well, you have a balance of oh, $720. Go ahead and pay it now because <laughs> you're breaking the contract. Now, <clears throat> God does not say he sets up a contract with us. God is not saying to you, listen, this is so important. Again, so many people get this wrong. The world gets it wrong. I, I, I think most believers get it wrong. Is that God does not say, if you do this and this and this, then I'll do this and this and this. I, you, you, take care, you take care of your end of the bargain, I'm going to take my care of, uh, of the bargain. No, God says, because I'm just faithful, because I stick with people, because I love you, I'm going to do something called a covenant. I'm not setting up a contract with you. See, a covenant has no requirements to do anything. It's about being, it's not doing. It's about being, not doing. And then you respond positively because it's in your heart. And then he goes on to say this. He says, their descendants will be known among the nations and their offspring among the peoples. This just means your children and your grandchildren are going to be known. Positions of authority they will have. And then it says, all who see them will acknowledge that they, your children, your grandchildren, this is, these are people that haven't even been born yet for the vast majority of you guys. <laughs> they are people the Lord has blessed. Why? Because of what you stepped out and did. Because you engaged the grace of God and you started living by faith. You know, people are going to look at you and look at your children and look at your grandchildren and say, they're, they're blessed by God. And it's because Jesus just strolled into your life and you accepted everything that Jesus brought with him. Now, now, now think about this. Why in the world would anyone want to go it alone and reject all of this? See, because God's blessing and favor is yours through Jesus. Do you desire it? Then you can begin to walk in this covenant future. At the beginning of the message, I, I mentioned that God doesn't want anything for you. He wants to bless you. He wants to bless your future. But again, it's all within the context of this thing called covenant. It's like marriage. Marriage is a covenant. I stood this couple in front of me a few days ago and I, and I said, for better, for worse, Preston, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer. And we were establishing the boundaries of covenant. And the beauty of that is that means it's based on who you are, not what you do. In other words, with my wife, I have a covenant relationship with her that's over 30 years rolling now. And what it means is Rebecca does not have to perform with perfection and do all these things to maintain my love and my blessing to her. It's just, she is Rebecca Woody. It is a covenant. But because there's this covenant of love 
and there's no agenda added to it, she will naturally love me in return. You don't even want to see the text messages she sent me today. They were wonderful. They were that wonderful. You don't want to see them. I, I love it. You know what? Because covenant relationship. And it's not because I demand it or I threaten her. No, it's because she wants to love. In fact, the Bible even says that marriage was given to us as an example of how God works with the church. Some of you, you might even be in a hurting marriage right now and God wants to heal it and restore it. You begin to understand the power of covenant and you begin to love unconditionally. Our relationship with God isn't a contract, it's a covenant. It's a covenant established between you and God. And when you receive God's grace and then you begin to act on faith, God's going to bring miracles into your life and you are naturally going to honor him. You are naturally going to just begin to do things. You're naturally going to rebuild, like it said in the scriptures. You're naturally going to minister. You're going to want to serve and help other people. You will just simply want to be generous. Like I can't, I, I, I can't help but be generous because of what God has done to me. I want to be the hands of God extended to the world. See, Isaiah explains this to us this way. He says it to us in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 16. He says, wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Now, there are four verses here, and these four verses are all connected. Usually they are preached alone as standalones. These are not standalone verses. They all fit together because they're speaking of one thing. They're speaking about the grace of God and, and, then, and engaging the faith and then watching what God will do. All right, take a look at it. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight and stop doing wrong. Learn to do right and seek justice. Now he's telling us to do what God does for us. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. Come and let's settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they will be white as snow. Though they're red as crimson, they're going to be as white as wool. And if you're willing, and if you're obedient, you will eat the good things of the land. That is the covenant God has for us. We're naturally going to want to do things for God. He's naturally going to pour right back into us. Receive grace. Do God's work. Live forgiven. Have faith for a crazy, amazing God future for your life, both in this life and as well as eternity. Because Isaiah keeps talking about eternity. Things that haven't even happened yet are still written in Isaiah. Hey, understand this. This is it. This is the truth. God's blessing and favor is yours through Jesus. Do you want it? I do too. Would you just be quiet for just a moment and focus internally? I just don't want any movement right now. And Maybe you're here today and you've never really surrendered your life completely to Jesus. Possibly you're listening to this message and you've drifted from relationship with God. But if you want to know the Jesus that I'm talking about, and it's like, this is a Jesus I've never really understood existed, but this is the real Jesus right here. If you want him, you want the fullness of him in your life, I'm going to give you this opportunity to respond simply by lifting your hand when I count to three. Just lift your hands so that I can connect my faith with yours and then we'll pray together and we'll make something, God makes something amazing happen in the spare realm. That's what we just read about. Ready to make things right with Jesus. Are you ready to give your life to him and follow Jesus, the Jesus I preached about today? If that's you, the count of three, lift your hands. One, two, three. Lift your hands up for me. Lift your hands up for me. Thank you. Who else? Thank you. Thank you. Who else? 
You can put your hands down. Thank you so much for responding. Jesus extends his life and his love to you, so I want you to pray with me. In fact, I'm going to ask that everyone in this room just please stand to your feet. Everyone stand. If you raised your hands, stand up. Stand up. I want you to pray this prayer with me along with the entire congregation of believers. Believers, I want you to pray this with faith also. Come on, pray these words with me because now it's time for people to go from death to life in Jesus. Say these words with me. Dear Jesus, thank you for dying for my sin. I believe you're the son of God. Please forgive my sins. Today I give up my past and I embrace the future, the God future. that you have for me. I receive you into my life. I receive your favor. I receive your blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. Look at Well, I hope you enjoyed today's message. You know, City Life Church, we are all about developing followers of Jesus who influence and shape culture. And it's possible that you are even feeling a a shift that is coming in your life, or possibly deep down inside you feel called to something more, and City Life might be a part of that future. Let me tell you, Launch Sunday is the big event that's coming up, and it's happening on February 10th, 2019. And if you'd really like to be a part of what God is doing in downtown Fort Worth through City Life Church, I'm asking you to go and visit our website at citylifefw.org and click the launch button. Uh, You could also just come and visit one of our services because I I really believe the future is bright and it's limitless in potential. I want you to hear my vision. I want you to be a part of what God is doing at City Life and come and chat with me personally after one of the services.